Has God been good to anybody this morning? I mean, has he, has he really been good to you? I ask because sometimes when life just happens to us, we forget how good God has been. We, we put these spiritual blinders on that forget everything that God has done. But I like what the old church says when they said, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. So sometimes it's good just to sit back despite what you're going through. Sometimes you just got to pause and think outside of yourself and bigger than your circumstance. And you need to step back and look at how big your God is. And not only just look at how big your God is, but remember his track record. Not just in your life, but in the lives of other people as well. And if that's not enough, you need to just praise him anyhow. Because our God has been good. He's been better than good. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. As we continue our series on great expectation. Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning at verse 1. When you get there, say amen. amen. If you need some more time, say hold on. Not that many. All right. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verses 1, only just through verse 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. If I could give you a title for our text this morning, it would be the qualifications of a faith resume. The qualifications of a faith resume. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful that we have tangible things in our lives that we can look at and testify that you've been good. We can look at the fact that you woke, up, woke us up this morning and started us on our way. But we can all get even more specific than that, that you've been good. You've kept us from harm. You've opened up doors. You have healed our bodies. You have forgiven us of sin. You've been good to us. And so, God, we come in that vein with humble hearts this morning, ready to hear your word, ready to be encouraged by your word, ready to be challenged by your word, because there is something in your word that you want us to understand. And so, Father, we always come before your word with opened eyes and open hearts, ready to receive all that you have for us. So I pray this morning, God, that you would use me, your servant, to be an instrument of your grace that the words that are spoken this morning would be as much for me as it is for everyone else. God, we come to you as a people together, broken, needy, in desperate need of your grace. And so we pray, Lord, that you would meet us 
this morning. That you would comfort us, that you would encourage us, and that you would teach us all that you want us to know about yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The qualifications of a faith resume. Most of us in here have had the daunting task of going on job interviews. I heard some mm mm ums <laughs> The reason I can suspect that you respond that way is going on a job interview for many people makes us nervous and uneasy. Because in all actuality, the decision that ends up being made by the end of that time for many of us depends on or, or, or lets us know how much people think that we're worth. And th that's, that's the scary thing for many is because we want to be valued. And we think we should be valued and we think that we're qualified. But usually we take those times very personally when we've been rejected because ultimately what's being said is you're not good enough for what we need to be done. Now, I... I, I Myself wasn't necessarily like that. I, I was probably a little overconfident. Some might say cocky, but I would say just confident. I just believed that once I got to an interview, I was going to get the job. I thought that I was charismatic enough to sell you on the fact that I deserved to have the job just because I was a hard worker and, and, and that I, I would make sure it got done, that you would see my character, you could tell just by meeting me that you would want me on your team. And so I always had this confidence that if you took the chance on sitting before me, I was gonna, you, we was going to make this happen, right? I can remember one time, only one time, where I went on a job interview and I didn't get the job. Now, this was interesting because... The, the, the lady who was um, doing the hiring process and interviewing me was my former boss, like recent former boss. And so in my mind, I'm, you know, some of y'all got wide eyes and shocked like, oh, man, you ain't getting that job. I, maybe your former boss didn't have you know, a, a good memory of you. But my former boss, from my perspective, had a good, we had a good relationship. She was the one who encouraged me to interview for this position. So, of course, when I found out she was doing the interview, I'm saying to myself, well, this is in the bag. Like, this gravy, right? Now, I, I still prepared myself. I didn't just walk in there in sweatpants and flip-flops. Brothers, I'm getting, that's free, right? You put a jacket on, a dress shirt, a tie. Make sure it's buttoned all the way. Freshly groomed. Make sure you go get a haircut. You've got to look the part, Right? So I showed up and, you know, I thought I killed the interview as always. And, and so I'm, I'm expecting to hear the response that, that, that I want to hear. But, but when she got back to me, she said, you know what? We're not going to give you the, the, the position because uh, we, we were looking for somebody with a little bit more experience. Now, to me, that's, that's the worst type of rejection because it doesn't make any type of sense to me. Nobody has experience when they're coming to interview for that job from inside the company. The purpose of interviewing and getting experience, like, you know, like, how am I supposed to get experience before I work the position? <laughs> like, that just doesn't make sense to me. 
It's almost like you want me to leave and go to another company and work in that position and then just come back over to work the same position. That don't make sense. Anyway, if, if, if <laughs> I had a flashback for a second, y'all. Like, like I was right there again. But, but listen to me, every employer, no matter what career or job, when they interview somebody, they are looking for particular characteristics or a particular set of skills in the person they plan on hiring. Now listen to me, God, when he saves you, is not looking at your qualifications. There, there, there is absolutely nothing that you can offer God in terms of character, skills, or experience that makes you worthy of being chosen by him, right? However, once the work of salvation has taken root in your soul through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, there is something that should mark the life of every believer. There's something that God is looking for in the life of every believer, and he's looking for it no matter how young you are or how old you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or, or how little money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter whether you've earned your PhD or have failed the first grade on three different occasions. He is looking for a particular characteristic in your life, and he's looking for a life that's been marked by faith. Which brings me to my first point. A life of faith requires belief that God can do it. A life of faith requires a belief that God can do it. Look with me at verse number one. Uh, the writer of Hebrews starts off and he says, now faith. Now I'm just going to park right there for a second because what's, what's interesting is that the author even has to bring up this topic of faith. And in chapter six, he says that this is elementary doctrine. He, he says this, this is something when you first become a believer that you should know and that we shouldn't have to continually go over. But the group of people that he's writing to, see, they've been, they've been scattered because of persecution. And they've begun believing different doctrines about who God is and how they can please him. And so they've started to slowly begin losing faith and, and steering away from God. And so in chapter 10, he reminds them, he says, no, we need to have the type of faith that endures, that keeps us in the presence of God. And so in chapter 11, he begins by saying, we need to go over and reintroduce ourselves to this topic of faith and what it means to being a believer. And so he starts and he says, now faith. Faith is the strong confidence in and reliance upon someone or something, often with the object of trust, object of trust understood, right? So all human beings live by faith. I, I don't care what your belief system is. I don't care what your worldview is, whether you're a, 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 a science major or Darwinist, whether you're Hindu or, or Buddhist, whether or not you're Christian or, or follow Islam. Every belief system, every person is living on faith. See, the, the difference, the key difference for the believer is not what we place our faith in, but in whom we place our faith. See, faith says that faith for the believer is rooted in a person. It says that there is someone greater than I who has the power to change my circumstance. Therefore, I trust him. Faith is a constant outlook of trust 
and dependence towards God, but there can be no trust and there can be no dependence without a relationship. Trust and dependence assumes a relationship. Trust and dependence assumes a knowledge of the other person, the one in whom you're trusting in. Can, can I be honest right now? The, the reason that many of us are struggling in our faith is because we don't know our God. See, see it, you, you, you've got to be careful with believing everything the world wants to tell you about God. Like, like, like we serve a God who doesn't take sin seriously. Like it's not a big deal. You, you've got to be careful of using your personal relationships and experiences as a way to define who you think God is. See, we have to define who God is based off of his character. And his character is revealed to us in his word. If I can be more specific, we need to know what God has to say about himself. And what God has to say about himself is found in his word. Because there can be no trust, there can be no dependence without relationship, and in order for there to be trust and dependence in the relationship, you need to be able to know his character and trust it. See, the Bible has a lot to say about what God's character is like. The Bible says that our God is a, a holy God, which means that he always does what's right. He never makes a mistake. Our God is a committed God, which means that despite your rebellion against him and your sinfulness, despite your ever-changing heart and passions towards him, he's committed to you. And he's committed to you not because of what you do, but because of what he's done. See, the covenant that he made between man, he put his name on it, which means the terms of the covenant are only broken if he breaks the, the covenant, not if you break the covenant. See, that's the type of commitment I'm talking about. See, we, we've never experienced the type of commitment like that. See, because I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired of people. I, I get tired of people because people show up late to things. They don't value my time. I, I get tired of people because they're always pessimistic, always complaining about something. I get tired of people because when they come to me for help and, and, and then they got the nerve to don't listen. I get tired of people because sometimes I just don't feel like being bothered with you. Now, that's not the type of God that we serve. See, I'm so glad that God's commitment to me doesn't look like my commitment to other people. That, that God has chosen to, to stay in relationship with me despite me. See, we've never known the, a God like this before. Not only is he committed, but he's also patient. That means he puts up with your mess. So not only is he committed to being there, but he's patient with you. 
That means when you get on his nerve, he doesn't respond in wrathfulness towards you. He, he doesn't respond in an annoyed way towards you. He, you know why he doesn't? Because the Bible says that we serve a God who is a loving God. So he's a committed God and, and a patient God and a, and a holy God. And he's a God who loves us. The Bible says that the, the, the riches of his love he has lavished upon us. An, an undeserved type of love. It's like you, you've never known a love like this before. See, when you first got saved, you, you, you probably sounded a little bit like faith. Not faith that we find in, in this passage, but the R&B artist's faith. Y'all know where I was going with this. See, when you first come to know God, you, you, you have to attest to the fact that you've never known a love like this before. Because you've never had someone to show you a love. Y'all know what she said, a love like this before. This, this, this is what faith says about God's character. Faith says, because I know him, I trust him. R.A. Torrey says that faith is not belief without evidence. It is belief on the very best of evidence, the word of him who cannot lie. See, this type of faith changes our whole perspective. It's, it's the difference between being on the ground and being in the air. See, on the ground, I see things from my point of view. And from my point of view, everything looks a little bigger. But every once in a while, you've got to get on the airplane of faith and travel up into the air. Not a little ways, but a great ways. And make sure when you're on the plane, you don't get an aisle seat because you can't see out the window in an aisle seat. But you've got to get the seat by the window. And you've got to open up the shade and then look down towards the ground. Because I can guarantee you the things that you saw while you were on the ground look a whole lot small, smaller when you're in the air. See, for the believer, the more we know about the character of God, the more we're able to see things from his perspective. And the more we see things from his perspective, the more we're able to realize how small our problems really are. Knowing God also makes you pray a little different. Listen to what Pastor H.B. Charles had to say. He says, the things that you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. See, when you, when you begin to know the character of God, it shows you more of who you are. And even more than that, it shows you more of who you're not. And the more you understand who God is and who you're not, you understand your limitations. And you don't take for granted even the small things that you should be praying about. See, I, you know, for me, I get in the habit of praying for those big things, things that I know I can't handle on my own. Usually I wait till the last minute, and then, it's, then I'm in 911 mode. Don't act like I'm the only one in here. 
And I, I, I look up, and next thing you know, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation, and then I cry out. I'm on my knees. I'm snotting up everything, I, crying and, and, and all that stuff. God, help me. Oh, Lord, I need you, God. I need you today, God. You are you're bigger than the heavens and the earth. The earth is your footstool, God. Y'all, y'all know how we get. But, but li- listen, when we refuse to pray about the small things, we're telling God that we don't need him for those. But, but, but the last time I checked, John chapter 15 said that I can do nothing without him. There's nothing that I can do without God. If God was to step back from those little things, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. But then he goes on. So he says, he says, now faith, then he begins to tell us what faith is comprised of. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. I like how uh, uh, one commentary defines that this assurance and this conviction, it says it's a, a firm, solid confidence or a, or a calm courage. By defining faith as assurance and Conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that has not yet been seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not in a knowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God, character, who is all-powerful, character, infinitely wise, character, and eternally trustworthy, character. The God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things that have not happened yet, a conviction of things not seen, things that haven't happened yet, nor have you seen them yet. Faith is the confidence to put your trust in the character of God despite not having seen what he's promised. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, for by it, by this faith, this assurance, this conviction of God going to bring about things I haven't seen, For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. This means that that because of their faith, because they lived lives of faith, God approved their lives. God put the stamp of approval on their lives because they lived lives of faith. Now, when you think about the fact that faith is a conviction and a hope and trust in God based on his promises about things that have not been seen, and God commended the lives of these Old Testament saints, I had to step back for a second and ask myself the question, how long am I willing to believe God for something I can't see? Do I have that type of enduring faith? to believe God for an extended period of time when I feel like the thing he promised to happen isn't happening. Then the second question I asked myself is, I said, self? 
these people of old. They can't just be any old body if God approved their lives. They, they got to be somebody special. Like they, they've got to be the cream of the crop in order to have their lives approved by God. So who are they? Beginning in verse 3, the author begins to reveal to us who these people are. He says, by faith we. So he starts off by including the audience to with which he's writing to. And even in some ways, I believe to us, he says, by faith we believe God created the world out of nothing. Then he says, by faith Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith Enoch was taken up because he walked with God. By faith Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham moved to a place he was unfamiliar with that God promised would be his. And then he lived in that place as a foreigner. Not only that, but he also, by faith, offered his son Isaac up to be sacrificed, Isaac being the son of promise. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. By faith, Isaac, and then by faith, Jacob, and by faith, Joseph, and by faith, Moses, and by faith, Rahab, and each of these individuals had something in common with one another, and it's that they lived a by faith type of life. Their lives had been characterized by faith. See, that term by faith can, can mean that because they trusted in God, because Abel trusted in God and because Abraham trusted in God. But, but notice how their by faith is followed by action. That their by faith wasn't dormant. That their faith was categorized based on their obedient response. See, faith consists of acting with reference to the unseen. See, Abraham was counted faithful because he obeyed God and moved even though he didn't know where he was going. Noah was counted as faithful because he obeyed God and began building the ark even though he didn't know that rain was really going to come. Sarah was counted faithful because she believed in it, even in her barrenness and old age, that God would bring about a baby boy in her womb. See, each example emphasis lies both at an act accomplished by faith and the right spiritual posture of the individual. It's a vital link between the internal attitude and external actions, which means God wants to see, I'll put it this way, Difficulty and ho having to hope in God exposes really what you think about him. Whether or not you're going to be obedient to what God has called you to do lets us know what you really think about God. Let, let, me, let me try to try to put it this way. One of my Pet peeves. It's disobedient children. It's, it's a concept that really doesn't agree with me. 
But I, but I think what bothers me more is parents who give too much rope to their disobedient children. Because I have a tendency to want to jump in and parent for them. And, and I know I can't do that. I know that's not appropriate. Um, but but I, I don't believe in that whole county ministry. One, two, I'm almost at three, two and a half. I, I, I don't believe in that. I, I believe in a right now obedience. See, my, my, my children, if you've ever watched them, you know what I'm talking about. My, 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 my children, they're not perfect kids, but they know when I tell them something, they better get to moving. I, I don't do the whole tantrums and, and all that stuff. I don't give no grace for that. I, my, 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 my oldest tried that when she was younger, and I think she told the other two about it because they've never tried it. But as much of a pet peeve as that is for me, when, when I turn the mirror back around on myself, the question before me is, do I have a right now obedience that is a faith in action based on what God has called me to do because of his word? We got to get moving. Not, not only does... Not only does life or a life of faith require belief that God can do it, but a life of faith requires belief that God wants to do it. One of the greatest faults of the church when it comes to our teaching on faith is not that we don't teach that God can do it, but we don't always teach that God wants to do it. See, there's a difference between God wanting to and willing to. A wanting to acknowledges that he has a desire to answer prayer. A willing to says that he'll do it if he has to. He's okay with doing it, but he's not passionate about doing it. But, but as we'll see in, 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 in verse 5 and 6, uh, 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 God is passionate about doing it. Look, look with me at, 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 verse, at verse 5. It says, it says uh, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. E Enoch so walked with God by a life of faith that God was pleased with him. So much so that he decided, you know what, I'm so pleased by your life of faith, I'm just going to let you come home with me. He just took him. Can you imagine that? I know sometimes we talk about, man, when I die, I just want to go, go peacefully in my sleep. 
You know, everybody, everybody, you know, because that's just the way to go. That's just the, it's the easiest way to go. No, it's not. The easiest way to go is for God just to take you home. Like Enoch didn't, he, God was so pleased with his, the faithfulness and the intimacy with which he walked with him. He said, I'm just going to let you, I don't even want you, you know what, I'm so pleased with you, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to just bring you on home so you can experience this eternal joy and this eternal peace and the eternal presence of God because of your faithfulness. Not that Enoch had earned it, but God gratefully allowed him to experience it because of his faithfulness. But then it goes on and says in verse 6, this, this is where I want to park for a little bit. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, we, we know based on how this sentence is structured that it is possible to please God. But pleasing God comes with some parameters. Namely, the only way that you can please God is through faith. That's why in Romans uh, chapter 14, he says that it's impossible. Like anything done without faith is sin. And so the first parameter that we have on pleasing God is that you need faith to do it. Not only that, but then he goes on and he says, he says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Or I like how some translation see it, says, he's, it says that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are some prerequisites to pleasing God. One, you have to come to him. See, that coming to him, that, that drawing near assumes a, a, a dependency. It assumes neediness on the one who is drawing near. Because the opposite would say that prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. A, a lack of neediness and dependence upon God says to God, I'm okay on my own. So, so faith must, you must draw near to God. You must come to him too. You have to believe that he exists. That there is an actual, literal God that exists in eternity that can hear you and answer and respond. That he exists. And, and thirdly, it says that those who draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. In case you don't know what that word reward means, and it might be a little confusing to you, it is a benefit received for something that's been done. What does that mean? That means that God has so set up the relationship of our faith life with him, our dependency on him, that when we come to him by faith, he rewards us. It doesn't mean that he rewards us sometimes. This is a continual reality that whenever you come to God by faith, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. See, that, that should encourage somebody's soul right now today that, that you don't have to bank whether or not God is holding rewards from you or, or withholding good things from you just because, because you don't know if he's kind of stingy 
or if he's in a bad mood, or if you've done something to disappoint him, the Bible lets us know that if you come before God with faith, trusting in him with dependence on him, he will reward you. One of the beautiful things about this is we understand that faith demands expectant prayer. Faith demands an expectation that God is going to answer. Any other type of faith is not faith at all. The type of faith that God wants you to have as you believe in him, as you trust in him, as you seek him, he, he wants you to have the type of faith that, that literally is watching and waiting for a response. How do I know? Because the psalmist in Psalm chapter 5, he says this. He says, oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you or I pray to you. And then it says, and I watch. It says, in the morning I get up and I, I get before your face. And I seek, I'm seeking your face. And then I don't just leave. I stay there and I'm waiting for you to respond. There's an expectation that when I call out to my father, he's going to respond. See, some of us don't have the type of faith that actually believes that God is going to respond, nor do we believe that he wants to respond. See, the trouble with that type of faith is we oftentimes miss the answer. Y'all not with me this morning. It's okay, though. This brings me to my, my, my third and final point because we got to get out of here. Not only does a life of faith require belief that God can do it, not only does it require belief that God wants to do it, but a life of faith requires endurance. Look with me at verse 32, if you will. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Oh, we, we like this list. This, this is a conquering type of list, right? And he says, he said all these things were done by faith. But, but notice that the list doesn't stop there. And the rest of what I'm going to read was also done by people in faith. Listen what it says. It says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, they were went about in skins and sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. See, sometimes when we go through difficulty in our life and it feels like we're being mistreated and things just aren't going the way that we want them to go, we think that we're not living by faith because we assume that difficulty means we're not where God wants us to be. Where well, I'm here to tell you this morning, people of God, that sometimes difficulty, sometimes confusion, sometimes destitution, sometimes alienation, sometimes pain, 
and hurt. Sometimes when your body isn't feeling well, sometimes that's right where God wants you to be. And sometimes it's in the indication that you have an opportunity, even though you find yourself there, to continue to live by faith. See, we've got to be careful because sometimes God has the habit of not giving us what we want, when we want, or how we want. Sometimes we've got to be okay with God telling us what he's going to do and not telling us when he's going to do it. See, faith rejoices in the answer that God gives, not what type of answer God gives. What, what do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes we can miss the answer that God gives because we're only listening for a yes. What happens if you're only listening for a yes and God says no? Or if he says, not right now? If we're only listening for a yes, then we'll operate as if God doesn't answer our prayers. When the reality is he has answered our prayers, we just haven't heard him. What do you do when God clearly says yes, but the yes is not for you? Look at with me at verse 39. It says, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Sometimes the yes that God gives you is for somebody else's benefit. And so the question on the table for us is, do we have the type of faith that endures when God answers our prayer and yet we might not be the recipients of the answer? Do we still rejoice in that? It says they didn't receive all that was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, this, this, this list, this, this, this group of people, this faith hall of fame, the author's main point through this example list is that the the life of faith is the only life that pleases God and the heroes of faith demonstrate a resolute determination where they would live faithfully even though none of them received what was ultimately promised to them because their ultimate promise was a coming Messiah a Messiah that they were looking forward to See, Jesus was Abraham's ram in the bush. Jesus was Noah's ark in a raging flood. Jesus was Moses' manna from heaven. He was David's eternal king seated on the throne. Jesus was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Every saint of old looked forward to the God's promises ultimately being fulfilled in Christ. Even Jesus himself lived a life of faith unto God. And John chapter 5, in his conversation with the group of people around him, he says, I can do nothing on my own. I can only do what the Father, what I see the Father doing. There was a dependence he had in God. 
In chapter 8, he says, and he who sent me is with me, and I always do what pleases the Father. Jesus, because of his faithfulness to God, his faith independence upon God, could say that he always did what pleased the Father. And because Jesus lived a life of faith and dependency and trust in God, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee was going to bow. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue would confess that he indeed was Christ and Lord. And so the question for us on the floor today, people of God, is do our lives mirror the lives of those old, those people of old? Do we live a life of faith that would be commended by God? And do we have the type of faith, believing faith, that pleases God and rewards you when you seek him? And so for us, as, as we hope in God, some of, you, some of you are hoping God for some big things. Some of you are hoping in God for some impossible things. And so my encouragement for you today is to believe that God can do it. Believe that God wants to do it. But remember that this life of faith requires great endurance. So will you have the, the endurance to believe him anyway, even if it takes a while? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful. We're thankful that your son, Jesus, was the ultimate example of a life lived by faith. That even though he was God, he counted equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and being found in the form of a servant was obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. God, I pray that our lives, each and every life in here, every person under the sound of my voice would confidently walk in faith before you, believing that they serve a God who is big enough to answer any prayer because he's bigger than any problem, that each and every person in here would believe that they serve a God who loves them and is so committed to them that he wants to answer prayer. That Jesus even said, if we who are evil can give good gifts, how much more can our Father in heaven give good gifts? God, I pray that we would believe you for with expectant prayer, that you're going to answer. And God, I pray you would strengthen our hands to endure and to believe you by faith, even if it takes a little while, and even if the answer is not what we expected. Encourage our hearts today, oh God. Challenge our souls today, oh God, that we might believe in you because you're worthy and because your character demands that we put our trust in you today. This we pray in the name that, the only name that matters, the name of our King and our Savior, the Lord, Jesus, who is the Christ.